guest today. Um, we were going to talk some local soccer, but uh, Jake is out of town. Going to try to track down the health commissioner, see what's going on with COVID stuff. Eric Jasinski instead had to go to a fallback. Um, but still, one of my favorite people to talk to. We don't talk enough because literally when we talk, it just goes on forever and ever and ever. Um, professional hockey and radio broadcaster, the one and only Matt Melzak, will be on here in just a couple of minutes. Um, Matt, you hear on the call on Buckeye and then on the radio as well. And he is a big baseball nerd like me. You know, I don't like talking about sports. I try not to bring it up too often with everybody on the podcast, the the co-hosts and whatnot, because it's over people's head. So unless you're a diehard baseball fan, we're going to get to a point in today's podcast episode where it's totally fine for you to go. Before that, you get to see what's kind of been going on with the Mud Hens and the Walleye since they have not been playing games. Other stuff has been happening. Um, so let's dive into today's podcast, and of course, I thank the one and only professional hockey and baseball announcer, Matt Melzak, for joining today. It's good to hear uh, you. Likewise, sir. Amen. Uh, I've been good. Good enough, I guess. You're, you're back to work. Caitlin said you're back to work, right? I am. I am. Well, I'm only back because they need travel. <laughs> Somebody's got to uh, start setting up the schedule and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, basically because of the fact that there is travel that needs to be done. So that's why I'm back on board. But it's good to be doing something again, like baseball-oriented, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Andy's help, had me uh, helping her out with the roster stuff and, you know, getting all that stuff ready to go for the season media wise so yeah it's nice to actually be uh back doing stuff although when the weather's nice like this i'd rather be golfing but you know that's fine haven't you golfed enough over the last year no actually no (laughs) what what have you done since there's been no walleye or uh or baseball stuff um well are we on? Are we recording oh, this oh, right yeah, now? We're or? rolling. We're, we're oh, rolling. okay. You, the longest honeydew list in history? Uh, one of the longer ones, yes. <laughs> um, but I did have an opportunity to uh, do kind of some neat stuff. So, like, you know, just I finished an entire garage. I walled it all in and, you know, got all that done. Uh, so now, now my truck has a nice place to park. And then uh, last summer, I learned how to ride a motorcycle, which I had never done before. Awesome. So I uh, got that done and, yeah, obviously played a ton of golf and, you know, got my golf game back in order, which was nice because normally most years I'd play maybe three or four times out of a year. And to play, I believe it was 53 times last year. Three times. You know, like, well, I mean, you know, no baseball, no hockey, you know, I, I, I did. I got a lot of time uh, to play golf and get back at it and have fun with it. And, you know, got my game going again. It felt good. It, you know, I had some good rounds. And I think I shot one time I had, a, I did the front nine at Ottawa Park and finished at one under, which was my best. Wow. Out of the grouping. Yeah, that was my best one. I, I hit around even par a couple times there. Uh, but then I also had some disasters like every other average golfer. So, Well, good. I'm glad. Uh, I, I, I would obviously keep in touch with Caitlin and keep up with you, and I knew that you guys were 
doing okay and your your honeydew list was long but motorcycle and golf i mean there were worse ways to spend the last year yeah you know and then that well there's on top of other projects you know a lot of home projects that i worked on and stuff but you know it was kind of nice to i guess in a way if we were going to be not playing baseball or hockey you know i had to be productive with something and and you know if it is spurring that 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 golf thing that I've loved my entire life and getting that going again if that's a positive that comes out of it then great um you also for those that don't know and I don't think I don't think you talk about this on the air at all on anywhere um you and your wife have a what what I'll call a menagerie of animals um I didn't even know that you had a pig but um how is Booter doing is he getting better he is actually. A matter of fact, he's sitting on my lap right oh, now. Hi, Booter. So he's, uh, yeah, he's got to take his naps. And there's a lot of times where I work in the chair and he's sitting on my lap, so taking a nap. And yeah, he's about to be 10 years old and just that major eye issue that's basically been going on, Eric, since January. And, you know, he finally had, he had a little bit of surgery with it at the beginning of the month. And then he had a backslide with that. And, you know, we were in danger of him losing his sight because of it. But, you know, we went on a whole thing of every two hours giving him multiple drops to try to get this thing in line. And and it's worked. It's it's coming around now. He's getting closer and closer to being uh, back to the 100% good. for the little guy. Good, good, good. What kind of dog is he? He is a Boston Jack mix. He's so, a cute boy. I like Booter. Booter is my favorite of all the animals. How many do you guys have in total? Currently, right now, we actually only have four. We had um, we had our uh, Caitlin's longtime parakeet uh, that uh, dates back pre-me in her life uh, passed away just last week. So, um, so she moved on, and we're actually just down to four. We've got Booter. We got the two cats uh, in uh, June and Jetson, and then uh, we have the pig, Kelty. I never knew you had a pig. Yeah, we do have a pet pig. It's good, to, and you got to spend good animal time too over the last year as well, right? Because you're, you're super busy doing what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we lost one of our dogs last summer during the. Actually, part of it was because of the pandemic, because she got uh, bone cancer in her leg. And obviously, it was difficult to get in to see vets and yeah. those kind of things. So, unfortunately, by the time we could, it ended up spreading too much through her that they could do anything about it. We lost her during the early part of the summer last year. And, yeah, just, you know, Booter's probably never walked more at the park and then in the last year than in his entire life combined because he and I went all the time. We were, at one point, we were going three or four times a week and... You know, we've basically hit a bunch of the parks in town and, you know, just trying out different ones and going and wandering places. And, yeah, he and I have gotten a chance to do a lot of the walking, which has been great, just to get out and take him places. I mean, I know I get to take him down to the ball games and hockey games sometimes, but it was kind of neat just to take him and let him walk and, and enjoy the outside a lot. Um, it sounds like you took advantage of what I... I, I me of all people mr mr cynical philadelphia guy trying to be optimistic during all this but i i kept trying to throw people's way 
Um, I know that some people are crammed into their houses and they're they're sick of seeing their family and they want to get out. But like, on the flip side of that, you'll never have this family time ever again. I remember um, when when they were trying to figure out the NBA stuff before the bubble idea arose last year. I think it was. Uh, J.J. Barea from the Mavericks, who's obviously a veteran, um, had a little different perspective than, than being a, a 22-year-old with nothing to do but video games. He's like, I've been at home with my family for eight straight weeks. I've enjoyed the time, but I'm ready to get out there and play some ball. I don't want to see the family anymore, but I'm glad you got to make the most of it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm like you. I have that, that weird positive outlook to everything. Like I always try to find that little positives or, you know, something out of it, like, uh, like going and learning how to ride a motorcycle last summer. You know, it's something I've always wanted to do in my life, but I've never really had a lot of time to commit to it. You know, you know, getting a bike and, you know, taking the class and, and going through, you know, getting enough time on it to learn how to actually ride it. Uh, you know, it's not one of those you do the class for a couple days, which they do a great job here in the state of Ohio. It was. It was two days. It was, you know, about 14 hours, and you're basically on the bike that whole time, and it was great, uh, you know, to get your license. But, you know, after that, you've got to put in a lot of time, and it's, uh, it's a complicated process to ride, and, you know, especially to ride safe and, you know, to be able to have that time to put in. That's, that's where I said, you know what, this, if I was ever going to do it, now is the time to do it, and I'm glad I did. And, you know, looking forward to getting out again a bunch this summer. And I'll, I'll probably even ride downtown for some baseball games this year. How how Caitlin feel about you wanting to ride a motorcycle? I'm sure she uh, known about it, but maybe thought the day would never come where you'd do it. <laughs> she, uh, she was 100% behind it. Her dad rides, so, like, she had no issue. Uh, she's like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You know, she has yet to ride with me, though. Uh, has yet to, yet to get on. I don't think I have enough time on the bike for her yet. But she will at some point. She will at some point. Um, let's uh, for everybody that wants. I want to talk sports with you. We can just do general sure. sports stuff, um, and we can nerd out with sports. So everybody that doesn't want to hear about sports stuff and Tigers players and all that nonsense, you, you are free to leave until the next podcast. Um, <laughs> but I'll start with the first question. Um, what What did you miss more uh, in the last year, hockey or baseball? Like doing it, working it. Ooh, man. Um... I would probably give the slight edge to hockey, Eric, and the reason why is just because of the playoff side of it. The fact that, you know, a year ago, you know, and a few weeks back, we were at a year ago where that last game was, and we had a really good team. Again, a team that I thought could very easily, I would not have surprised me if we were in the, the final series again and playing hockey in June in Toledo. And to have that abruptly taken away... Uh, you know, and then to watch how Dan Watson put together the team for this past fall and thinking, oh, my God, you know what? We might be able to do this again. It might not matter. And then to see that one taken away as well, I think, I think I'd have to give the slight edge to hockey just because of that playoff factor yeah. to it. I mean, you know, the, the thing that had me excited for baseball last year, and, and I don't know if you saw the news that Tarek Skubal is going to make the Tigers. Good. Uh, yeah, they just uh, they announced that earlier that he is he has made the Tigers roster, um, and same with Julio Tehran. I thought it was a great signing by the Tigers, but we can get into those things later. But yeah, we will. The, uh, the with baseball, the thing that I was so excited about last year was you were going to have Mize, you were going to have Skubal, uh, you know, you were going to have basically you know Parades, you were going to have 
you were going to have, what, four or five out of their top ten easily here in Toledo this this past summer. And, you know, that's where I thought, oh, my God, this was going to be great. This was going to be fun to, for the first time since I've been doing Hens games going back to 2010 where there were this many prospects in Toledo. And that's what I was looking forward to because I am kind of a nerd with that stuff. Uh, you can ask Caitlin. I get the Baseball America prospect guide every year, and I, you know I'm kind of I'm very nerdy on on prospects and developing, and I love it. I I absolutely love it, Eric. I know you do. I love it. It's fantastic to me to watch players develop and you know read about them and, and what they offer and you know what scouts think they're going to be able to do. Those things are fascinating to me, and I thought that's where I was so excited for last year's team. You never know how a team's going to play. I thought we were going to be pretty good in 2019 for the Hens. We didn't end up living up to that. So, you know, and then 2018, you weren't sure. I thought we could be okay, and then we were a playoff team. So just, uh, you know, you know, you never know when you get into a baseball season. But, yeah, I was certainly looking forward to that last year. But I'd say overall I give hockey the slight edge just because of the fact that that playoff factor was involved. Yeah, the city is the, the city downtown. Those games, they're electric, and we don't usually get that with the Hens. I know they've been in the playoffs. I think once since I've, I've been back here. But right. Even with twenty eighteen, it's just it's not the electricity. Like I remember telling you, I think it was that long. What was it twenty sixteen where they just kept playing overtime games? Yeah, in the seven game series. Yeah. Uh, Yo, know, you're talking about twenty fifteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where they just and they just ran, not the Newfoundland. Uh, series. It was the one before that. They just ran out of. It was. I think it was. They lost before the finals to like South Carolina, and they just kept yeah. playing overtime games. And I remember. I think I told you that that, that year I was like flipping the, these games on, hearing that crowd, and hearing you call it. It was like it was like ESPN on the Deuce twenty five years ago. <laughs> it was electric. It was fun, and you know what? I I still think about that game seven game against South Carolina. Here, where I mean, I don't think I mean, obviously, we went higher in attendance in the finals, but until that point, you know, I mean, that was as many people as we've ever had in that building, and they were so loud, they were on the edge of their seat the entire game. You know, there's always those lulls in a game where maybe the crowd's not into it. It was just like those finals games, you know, two years ago where it was like just non stop, the crowd was into it. And those are just so much fun. It, and you know what? I, I did get a chance to do those playoff baseball games against Durham and uh, two years ago for the Hens. And that, that first game when the, the Hens won, it, it was pretty loud at the ballpark. Even though it wasn't a sellout crowd, it was still loud. It was fun. It was cool to be part of a playoff baseball series. And I could see where if that Hens team had won that series against Durham and had gone to the final series, I bet you we would have packed it. And it would have been unbelievable. It would have been that same vibe. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. We just see more playoff hockey games in general. Yeah. How uh, How's Watson doing? I checked in with him a couple of times. And he's like, I don't check my DMs. Just tw- tw- text me. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to text him. <laughs> but what's, has he been – I know he helped a lot of – once the season got uh, put off, I know he got a lot of guys some new jobs. But how's he doing otherwise? I think, I, I think that, yeah, that was a key thing for him was he wanted to make sure he got all the guys that signed with him playing somewhere. Uh, which which has been helpful and you know and I think he's I think he's kept up a lot on that the last time uh, I heard from him he he was basically watching a lot of games just to see where the game is right now and if things are changing if there's something that he'd like to add 
you know, as far as scheme-wise to what he does. You know, maybe there's something Detroit's doing now, so he's watching the wings a lot just to see if there's differences there. Uh, now with the AHL going, watching those guys, because, you know, some of those guys will be free agents after the year that, that he might want to target. So, I mean, for him, it's all about scouting right now, and that's and that's cool in one aspect of it. Another way to look at it, positive, Eric, is he's getting a lot of time to look at players that he probably wouldn't have in a normal year when we were playing. I love the fact that uh, he, he I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he seems to really, really like it here in Toledo and the organization, but, but just the town as well. Because, I mean, you know as well as I do with what he does, and for that matter, for what we do. People can come and go, but a lot like the way I, I've made this my home. Um, I know he's from the, the other part of the state, but he seems to really, really like it here, and he's invested himself in the community. Yeah, he certainly has. It's, uh, I mean, he's a great individual, as you know, and and just uh, a joy to know for a long time. I mean, I called his last actual playing game uh, back in uh, the last season of the Toledo Storm, but, uh, I mean, for him, to get to know him and to watch him develop from the assistant coach days under Nick Fatusi uh, to an associate head coach with Derek Lalone and then taking on the job, uh, recently and just seeing the way he has made it his own team and developed into his own head coach and his own identity has been fun to watch as well. And the work ethic he puts in is, is second to none. And you're right, he does. He loves it here. He loves coming in. He loves the fan base. And, yes, he might make that drive, but it's a happy drive for him uh, to come from the western side of Cleveland over here. It, he, he'll do it all the time because he just loves it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Derek Lalone. Uh, he won a Stanley Cup with the with the Lightning, right? Yes. Was that was that was that this past year? Um. This yes, it was in the uh, in in the bubble. He did so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've got it. Was I remember seeing that story then, and I it took me a second to remember who won what when. But that's just going to be how we're going to remember the last year or so. But that was a, a nice little honor to see Toledo mentioned, or at least to see his name. Because I know he was an, an important part of that uh, that Lightning team that finally won themselves a Stanley Cup. Yeah, he and and he was very uh, key point. Matter of fact, I was texting him when he, when they went to the finals. I told him good luck, and of course, you know him. Yeah, he writes back, and uh, you know he's always got some great joke for me, which is fun. And then uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and then a couple times I would text him during uh, the the that final series, and he'd always get back to you. That's that's the kind of person he is. He's he's a great individual. I'm glad I I know him, and glad I got to work with him. Um. What what have you missed about the? Has there anything you've missed about um, calling games, at least like hockey stuff, road trips or anything like that? Like I know some of those can be a bear. Like um, when they went to uh, uh, didn't they went to like Anchorage or something a couple of years ago? Weren't they gone for three weeks one time? Uh, it gone? was it, it was almost two weeks full, and I think it was thirteen round trip or something. I mean, it was a long time, and. And, yeah, I was up to Anchorage for, I think it was like five or six days. And then we came back, went to Utah for yeah. the rest of that week before flying home. And, yeah, it was a, it was a trip. And the, it was a daunting. I mean, I'm glad I can say I've been to Alaska and I, you know, got a chance to see it, even though it was at the darkest point of the year because we went right before the winter solstice. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't, one day, we had a practice day in between. It was like a Thursday. 
And I leave, I room with our equipment manager, Dave Alio, on the road. And, you know, which, by the way, huge Cincinnati Reds baseball fan. I'll drop that in for you. So we talk a lot of baseball on the road. But anyway, so he and I, I get up with him, and, and we're going to go over to the rink and on this practice day as he's going to get everything set to, for the team to come over and practice. And we leave at, like, 9 in the morning that day. It's zero degrees out in, in Alaska, and the sun's not even up yet. It hasn't even started coming up, and it's 9 o'clock. We go into the rink. They practiced at, like, noon or 12.30 or something. We get done with the practice. We go to leave the rink. It's, like, 2.30. We walk outside, and the sun's setting. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, for a week of that, I, I don't think I've ever slept more on the road because it was just so dark. You know, and the time's different. So, like, you know, you're not talking to people at you know, 8 o'clock at night, their time, because it's midnight or, you know, 1 a.m. here. You're not, it's not like you're talking to a lot of people. So, you know, I was like, man, I've never slept so much on a road trip when that one. You miss any of the players more than the others? Um, There's some I do, and there's some I keep up with. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to kind of keep an eye on their career. There's certain guys that, uh, you know, in recent times, Pat Nagel has been one. I, I don't know how much you've talked with Pat, but he's, He's an unbelievable person and uh, a great human being. Congratulations to him and Monica. They just had their second uh, child uh, a couple weeks ago. And, that you know, he's one of the ones that I've always looked forward to talking to and, and I've talked to a lot uh, over, the, over the years that he's been here. And, you know, he's one of my personal favorites in, in recent team for people that are, you know, wanting to know, like, guys right now that you talk to. Uh, he's certainly been one of them. Um, yeah, other than, it just kind of pick and choose a little bit here and there. There's certain guys that, like Kevin Gibson, I still talk to. A lot of people, Kirk's son, uh, he and I still talk uh, a good amount. And, you know, it's either baseball or hockey uh, between the two of us. And, and obviously with the baseball side of it, he loved it because, you know, we started talking baseball a lot, and other guys would walk in and go, what are you guys talking about? Oh, you're talking about the Tigers? Oh, okay. And they move on, you know. But, you know, you wouldn't believe there's a good amount of, of hockey guys that are really into baseball, and a lot of them probably played hockey in high school, and, you know, they were playing baseball in the summer, and, and a lot of them are those dual-sport athletes that – and some guys really get into it. Troy Schwab is one who, uh, if you remember, he was on that team in 2015 – uh, that had that big run against uh, all the way to South Carolina. If you remember Troy Schwab, that was his last year, and he went on to be an assistant coach after. But we talked a lot of ba a lot of baseball over the over the years, and every now and again he'll send me a note on some kid he sees in South Carolina. Hey, this guy will probably be a prospect here at some point, and you know we kind of joke uh, back and forth about that stuff. But yeah, I usually do try to keep up with with some of the players and and some are I talk to more than others but yeah for the most part everybody's pretty good anyway so um over to some baseball stuff but before sure. we dive into the nerdy things um how's Jim Weber how's the Hall of Famer I just talked to the HOFer last week uh he I he he is down in Florida right now so as we speak he made the trip back down there this week he's gonna be down there I think a week or so maybe two before he comes back and you know and then he'll probably go down one more time before we start our baseball season and that's usually what he does he usually buttons up his place in florida about a week before we're going to start and then he doesn't go back until after our season's over so uh but he's doing real well uh, i actually played some golf with him last summer and 
Uh, he's got an interesting golf game. It's fun to play with him, obviously, because he's just he's got stories like you wouldn't believe. And yeah. you can play 18 holes and you're not even scratch the surface on some of the stories he's got. And, and every now and again, I get a new one that I had not heard, and I love it. Is all of a sudden he'll hit me with one and, and he'll go, I never told you this one, did I? And I'm, nope, you didn't. And uh, But yeah, looking forward to working with him again. He is a trip and his knowledge is tremendous uh, over the years. And the fact that he can recall players from 1980, it, it's amazing to me what he can do with his mind. What did he do uh, with the year off, with the summer off? You know, I think, it, well, part of for him is he's, you know, he just basically comes down, he does the games, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's kind of into that mode a lot anyway now when he gets into the wintertime that, you know, he goes off and he, you know, does his own thing and and he, he just gets away from the game now and then he comes back when it's season time. And, yeah, I think he's getting close to that retirement age. Uh, well, he's at the retirement age. We know that. Right. He's already into his mid-70s, but... Uh, when he's actually going to end up shutting it down, that's that's onto his mind. But I'm sure he's getting closer and closer on games that he wants to hit, uh, like 6,000 games. And, you know, and so he's got some milestones he still wants to get through yet before he calls it quits. Um, let's uh, let's do nerdy stuff now. I've told sure. some of my friends in, like, my fantasy league, and I've been – I'm not a Tigers fan, but obviously I follow it very, very closely because it's, it's, it's what's in my circle. They've been bad. Like it's been super ugly. Uh, the last handful of years I've looked at, uh, I looked at Miguel Cabrera's spring stats the other day. He might, he might be done. He, he might. And that's sad for me to say because he and uh, Manny who had obviously had some extra things is probably the greatest right-handed hitter of my lifetime. He is one of the best I've ever seen. He might be done, but this team will be, it'll be plucky and interesting. Yeah, I think so. I think it's got a chance to maybe surprise a few people, especially early in the year. I'm not as, I'm not completely sold on Cabrera being done yet. I think there's still some more left in the bat. I don't look a lot at spring training numbers for a guy like him because all he's trying to do is get his timing down on pitches. Whether he's getting hits or not is not a big deal to me. Uh, the only the only alarming part is I think he's struck out like nine times so and far. No walks. And and uh, I got to correct you. He's got one. I just brought him up right here. He's got one. He's one and nine right it's, now. It's grizzly. It's grizzly. And I mean, at least he's healthy. But yeah, I'm. I mean, I hope it's not over. But and I know he's been banged up, had some nagging injuries the last handful of years. But this is kind of what I was worried about when they signed him to that deal. And I remember when when he got that deal. Um, it was like the only, the only, the way, the only way this works out so that his, whatever he's making now. And for, I think there's two years left on it is if somehow, some way, shape or form, he ages like David Ortiz and that right. hasn't happened so far, unfortunately. Well, and, but you got to look at it. There's, there's ways to look at this. And I thought it was a great call because the Reds are dealing with the same thing with Joey Votto, Votto. who's, who's clearly on the decline a little bit as well. I mean, I mean, now Votto walks a heck of a lot more than Miguel Cabrera. Like, so he at least has that on-base percentage that's usually skyrocket. Even even last year, which was kind of a down year, his, his walks to strikeouts are very even all the time uh, for Joey Votto. But it's the same thing. And, and their GM at the time, and I'm blanking on his name, but he had this to say when they, they all talked about him. Well, 
you know, he's, you've signed him to this long-term deal. This is probably going to be a problem on the back end of the contract. He goes, well, wait a minute. We paid the guy. He won an MVP. We weren't paying him anything as he was, we hadn't even signed him yet. So, you know, now if you look over the course of the career, he's going to play like 20 years for us. He's going to average out to, I don't remember what it was, four or five million a year over 20 years. Would you do that for his career? But Compared to, yes, and now it is costing him a lot. It's costing him 20-some million, and, and it looks bad. But it's is it really bad when you factor in the fact that he had all those years? It's like Justin Verlander. When Justin Verlander won the, uh, I think he won the MVP, he was still on his you know, arbitration years. You know, he won the Cy Young, he wins the MVP. You know, they hadn't even paid him yet. He's barely making anything. And then they signed him to a long-term deal. He was making a lot of money. But you got to factor in the fact that for those first five years in his deal, he never made anything. He was making hardly anything. He was he was a bargain. I get it. And that is that is the the uh, emotional and family way of running a business and taking care of employees. Sure. But <laughs> that's not how to run a, a successful business because, you know, the Cabrera contract handcuffed them and made them make certain decisions and caused them to spiral in the way that they have. And, and I mean, the Reds were, I didn't, I actually thought Vada would age a little bit better than he has. But, I mean, this is unfortunately the economic structure of baseball. And we'll see if it gets corrected in the next CBA where younger players can make more money. And look, if I were just writing blank checks and I had all the money, I would pay these guys like you talked about with Verlander. But when you're paying them that much money and you're not getting the productivity and you can't make other moves, and granted, hopefully you have other younger players to step up and you just keep the cycle going. But oftentimes that doesn't happen. I mean, I watched it happen with the Phillies. I watched it happen with the Tigers. It's, yeah. it, it's happened with the Red Sox. I mean, really only the Yankees can, um, can, can outspend their mistakes. But even with them, they have had a great crop of young players come along. So as much as like you want to take care of these guys and thank them for giving them what they have, you, you give yourself problems down the road. Well, yes and, and no. I think the Tigers were hitting that point, just like the Phillies did. And, and I think you're thinking of the Ryan Howard deal that really kind of felt like it pushed them over yeah. the top on that end. But you got to remember where, where these teams were. The Tigers were a playoff team, what, four years ago? Five years ago at this uh, point now? The last one was when they went down uh, sheepishly to the Orioles. Oh, yes. So, right, a team that's worse than them right now in yeah. the Baltimore Orioles. They had the same thing happen, and they're still paying Chris Davis. Yeah. And, you know, but... There, when you look at it, like for what the Tigers, I mean, that's what we're talking about right now. But Philly's same thing happened. You know, the bottom falls out at some point. It's going to. You can only spend and keep yourself afloat for so long until you have to have some guys coming out of your minor league system to help you. And Philly's made that nice turn. That's why they've gotten better. And, uh, you know, they're not more. Comp <laughs> yeah, not enough, but at least they've gotten better. They've gotten themselves in position now where if they do spend some money and they do it properly, they can be really competitive. It's a tough division they're in they can't, uh, right they, now. They can't, though. They're up against uh, the luxury tax. Oh, man. Yeah. It, it, and, and I don't know where the Tigers are with their thing. I just pulled up Miguel's salaries and. Um, he was making good money before this extension, but you knew that they were going to give it to him, and it's always safer to give it to a, a hitter than a, a pitcher just because the next right. pitch can always be the last one. And I never would have imagined. I actually thought that, that Verlander, I, I, I feared, and he's been one of my favorite pitchers ever to watch because he went from 
flamethrower to incredible pitcher with that that knee breaking curveball. But I ne- I thought he was going to start to break down, and it was all of those core injuries that he had. He got over them. He went to the Astros, and whatever the hell happened there. I mean, it was disappointing to see him need Tommy John surgery. But I hope he ages well. I I don't know how many wins he's going to wind up with, but everyone from here on out is going to be. Um, uh, more to the to the Hall of Fame resume, hopefully, but I never would have guessed he would have aged better than Cabrera. Yeah, well, yeah, because well, yeah, you're always going to take the the hitter to go through longer because hitters usually hit their numbers, whereas pitchers, if you look, they go up and down a lot. Verlander's been a different case, but you've got other pitchers that will pop on the scene for a year or two. They're great, and then they just they fade back, and then they might have another year where everything clicks again and they're healthy. And, and pitchers get hurt so much. Yeah. For their, it's such a strain on pitchers that, you know, it, it is not surprising to me that guys, you see guys are good one year and they struggle the next. Relievers are this way anyway. Uh, relievers, to me, it's a crapshoot half the time. You might get a few that are consistent each and every year, but for the most part, you get one guy's real good one year, and then the next year he's kind of so-so. Then he might have another really good year, or he might have an excellent year, and you're thinking, oh, well, this guy's really turned a corner. Then he starts to fade back, and, you know. The Tigers could never get any of those guys. It was they, David albatross. Yeah, you know what? It was the same thing. I mean, he ended up winning in Boston. But it was the same problem he had in Boston. Look at Boston's bullpen. They've it's never been able to figure it out either. When that's why I went out and paid for, for Kimbrell. Right. And then he fell apart. And then ironically enough, I think after Dombrowski, yeah, I think after he got fired, they, they got a couple of guys and then they flipped those guys. But it's been amazing. And that's why um, when I saw that Dombrowski got hired for the Phillies, knowing that they had the worst bullpen in history in, in like – since 1880, it was horrific. If, the, if their bullpen was half a run better, they would have been in the playoffs by five games easily. And I'm like, I tell my dad, I'm like, he can't build a, bull, build a bullpen. But fingers crossed, they got some guys there just because that they throw hard. But it has been amazing for exactly what you said. If you just get enough guys, some of them are going to hit. And that was the thing that seemingly kept the Tigers from winning a World Series during his tenure. Yeah, they never they never were able to find that that the, the the entire pen. Every now and again they had the the good reliever, the guy that closed games well and you know, but they never were able to get that consistent here's your three or four guys at the back end of the bullpen that are going to close out a game and you see so much when you get into the playoffs in baseball it becomes if your starter can give you 5 innings, maybe 6, you're in great shape. And then you turn it over and you your bullpen, it better be lights out. If it isn't, you're going to give up some leads and you're going to lose some games. And uh, the Tigers were certainly victim of that a lot in the playoffs. The fact that they could never constantly find those guys, whether it was the seventh inning guy or the eighth inning guy or the ninth inning guy, to be able to get everything to lock down enough to win games in a postseason. You've seen all those... Uh proposed rule changes some of them are not going to be in triple a this year but some of them are going to be in double a they're pretty radical but how do you feel about the game because i know there's obviously they're trying to attract younger fans the audience is aging there is not a lot of action it's a long personal investment for somebody to sit down for that many games over the course of the summer what's your what's your take and perspective on how the game is played now uh, well, I mean, I've liked some of the things that they've done. I, I know in some cases I'm, I might be in the minority that I like the runner at second base rule and the extra innings. 
uh, you know, especially in the minor leagues. It may not fly too well in the majors, but then again, you're playing 162 games. You, you, if you get a handful of games that end because of that, is that really going to affect things down the road? I mean, I don't know if it would, and I think it's exciting. I think it adds that element of strategy to it. If you're the team, if you're that visiting team, what do you do? You right away bunt the guy over to try to make sure you score the run, uh, you know, or or depending on where you're at in your lineup, I think makes a lot of difference there. I thought it, I thought it added a lot to our games for the Hens, and and a, I think the longest game we went through was 12 innings. Yeah. I think most of the time, a lot of those games are ending in a couple innings. So now, you know, maybe you have a two-and-a-half-hour game, which is usually about the average time. Maybe another half hour if you go to extra innings. Most people will stick around for that. But, no, you know, I, I used to – go ahead. Uh, I was – like extra innings, I, I, you see it on Twitter as well. well. You're not on Twitter as much as I am, but people are like, free baseball. It's like, yeah, the 10th and 11th innings, like it's free baseball. But when you get to like 12 and 13, it's like, at this point, just go to 17 or 18 so that we can buzz about it at 3 a.m. Other than that, like it's a long season already. You guys, I mean, there's a quirky aspect to it, but you want to get home to Caitlin. Weber wants to go to the Dirty Bird, and some of these guys are tired. So if we can end it quickly, let's go. Yeah, you know, and and I think some of it is just on injury side because, yeah. you know, you, you end up at, at the minor league level, major league level. This doesn't happen very often. They'll keep going, and they usually have enough arms because they can turn around and just call up two or three guys out of the minors the next day if they need arms for the next game. But in the minor leagues, you know, what'll end up happening is you go basically until somebody runs out of pitching, and then here comes the shortstop or the catcher. To pitch an inning and then usually most times a team comes out and gets a couple of runs or a run or two and that's the game you know it ends up ending the game and although as someone who's done you know a game in the what 16 i think i did one that was 18 <laughs> innings like you know i guess it can go a little bit further and those are in and by that time there's nobody left and you know now you're starting to worry about guys getting hurt they're yeah. out there so long and then pitchers are even worse because now you get somebody that's been throwing one inning at a time all year. Now you get into an extra inning game and you're looking at your score sheet and you're going, I got nobody left. And now we just took the lead. I got to throw him out there again. I can't go to a position guy. So now a guy pitches an extra inning that maybe he normally wouldn't. Now he's in you know, possibility of getting risk of injury because of the fact that now he's pushed further than he normally would be. And there's a lot of those things that, that are... I think beneficial to the runner at second base. I think it would be in the major leagues too, uh, honestly. And when I've heard some broadcasters talking about it, they're like, why don't they try it for a year? Right. And, and if it's that horrible, if fans can't stand it at the major league level, then you can go back. Like, uh, you know, I, I liked the Universal DH last year. I thought there were a lot of NL teams that benefited from the fact that there was a Universal DH. I know they're not going to do it this year. I, I actually like the expanded playoffs, I am okay with that. Uh, you know, but obviously maybe you dial it back because you're playing a full 162 games. But I think there's some things that they look at and, you know, like I, I don't know how they're going to handle the shifts. Uh, you know, the Tigers are playing one a lot now with A.J. Hinch as their manager. They're putting three guys on the right side or left side of the infield all the time. Uh, you know, I don't know how I like that, but, you know, to me, I don't think you force teams to have to keep two on each side of the second base. I agree. Because the hitters can adjust, and if they don't want to adjust, then they're going to be a guy that hits 200, and they ain't going to last too long. 
Yeah, I agree. I don't like um, what they've done. Or the, the experimental rule, I think he's in double-A, where everybody's got to be on the infield dirt, removing right. that uh, that short fielder, as we would call it in softball terms. Um, I, I can't wait until to combat something like that if it comes to the major leagues. And, and there will be a Joe Madden, and he will take his left fielder and put him 30 yards in front of his right fielder. Um, I don't know. That's why like, I'm for leaving things as they are because the game is too smart, and it's way too analytical, and people will adapt. Like, I really think somebody would take their left fielder and, and say, fine, I can't have infielders in the outfield. I'll move my left fielder over. I will – I'll ch- – I'll – force that guy to go the other way knowing he can't. So I'd rather not mess with the rules and let the players and managers figure it out as it is. How do you feel about like the inaction in the game? Um Strike you know I run walk. I I I don't mind it. I really don't. Um you know I think one thing that they uh, that they're going to do and I, I'm trying to remember what league it is now is the um, where you only get a couple of throws over to first when a runner's yeah. on. Yeah. I think that's low A. Is it low A or high A? It's one of the A ball leagues they're doing that. Yeah, and then the, the, uh, the third one over, it's an automatic, basically a balk, an advancement. Right. So, I mean, to me, I think that's a way to kind of speed it up a little bit because sometimes you get a guy on there, you know he's going to steal. Right. He's going to steal at some point. They just continue. It's just a throw fest over there. And I could see where fans would be like, okay, you know, like me as a person who loves the game and you, it, it probably doesn't bother you uh, to see a guy throw over because you know he's trying to steal and that's part of the gamemanship of it. But for a casual fan and somebody you're trying to get into the game, you know, oh my God, is that the fifth time he's thrown over to first? I, I mean, really? What was that? The fans are ornery about it and they're right. booing and... Yeah, and I, 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 of all the things that have gone from the game in the last handful of years, um, I do miss the stolen base, and I understand that it's not mathematically the best move, and I'm, I'm very analytical when it comes to that. Let the, let the math make the decisions. But I also was a kid of the, the 80s and the mid-80s, and those those Vince Coleman teams and Willie mm-hmm. Lee and the Cardinals, and they just circled the bases. That was incredibly exciting, and we don't have that anymore. No, we really don't. I mean, you know, guys leading the league in steals and they're at 30. You know, it's not like it, it just is not a huge uh, part of the game. Now, granted, if they start limiting how many times you can throw over to a bag, now you might start seeing guys in motion more and you might try to pick up, you know, if you've got a guy that's a quality hitter at the plate that you know is going to put the – uh, put the bat on the ball. I, I think at Toronto right now with that uh, little catcher they've got, uh, Alejandro Kirk. Uh, I think they nicknamed him Captain Kirk, obviously, is a Star Trek person. You appreciate that. But yes. he's, he's a guy that all coming up through the minors, all he does is put the put the bat on the ball. Yeah. And he's, he's a hitter. And you get a guy like him at the plate, and you've got a guy that can run a little bit at first. Well, now they've thrown over twice. Hey, it's green light central right now. I know this kid's going to put the bat on the ball. And he's probably going to get at least a single. So I'm going to get a guy in motion because I want him over at third or maybe even score on a play. So I think that adds a little bit more to the game. And and I think the pitch clock in the minor leagues has sped up a little bit of the major leagues because more and more of those pitchers now when they graduate to the big leagues are working faster because they're used to it. Yep. 
They know they have to throw the ball faster. So when they get to the major leagues, even though there isn't the pitch clock, it has made guys go a little bit quicker on the mound because that's what they're comfortable with. They're not going to all of a sudden go to the big leagues and go, wow, geez, I can stand around here for a minute and a half before I throw a pitch. No, now they're getting the ball, get the sign, fire into home plate. And I think that... I think that'll help speed up the game a little bit as well. Moving the mound back has been kicked around a little bit. I think that that's that's super radical. I was I thought immediately about how guys might get injured, but I recently read something on on the Ringer from uh, Ben Lindbergh. He's a, one of my favorite baseball writers. He did some research with some some uh, mechanics people, like scientists, said no, they're they're not going to get hurt. So that's good to know. But before I would do that, I'm for shrinking the strike zone. So if everybody's going to throw 98, you got to put it right down the middle. Um, and guys are either going to walk a lot more or they're going to have fast meatballs. How do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know what, Erica, you and I disagree on this point. Okay. We're, 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 we're on target with a lot of these, but I'm going to argue with you. I think it should be bigger okay. on the strike zone. And the reason why is, yes, guys are all throwing 98. Hey, that's great. But you know what? Major League hitters can hit 98 if they see it enough, A. And B, if you widen the strike zone a little bit, then they're going to go after pitches faster. So if a, if a guy comes out and his first pitch is a fastball at 98, I know I can't get behind this guy. I'm going for it right now, and I'm going to put the ball in play more. I, but I see that as weak contact as opposed to if the strike zone were shrunk then guys have to put it in in the small square, and that could lead to better contact because weak contact doesn't do anybody any good because we both grew up playing Little League, and we know about choke up with two strikes and just put it in play, and that's what I envision with a bigger strike zone. Guys doing everything to prevent falling behind, so there's you know weak choppers the second, and while there's more action, it's not great action. Well, yes and no, because the great hitters will rise to the occasion on that. And you see it, of course, in the postseason when you get uh, these teams that are really good and they start throwing out these ace relievers that throw 98 to 100 all the time. But yet, baseball hitters still manage to make plays, and they still manage to come up with runs. And I think you'd see the same thing. Well, the, yes, you're right. A lot of these guys throw 98. They still don't aren't as pinpoint as you would think anyway and you're right guys might take a few pitches here and there if if the strike zone's smaller and now you got more walks now you got more traffic on the base paths now you got more pitching changes because guys get in trouble more often you know i think i think you're you're slowing down the game whereas if you if you widen the strike zone just a little bit doesn't have to be a lot and even if it's just umpires even calling the actual strike zone uh, that would would also speed up the game. I think that forces players to adjust to, oh, okay. Because you see it daily. If you get a home plate umpire that's starting to call everything on the outside, what do guys do? They swing at that pitch then. Because they can't just sit here and let a guy throw it over there all day long and get strikeouts. So they go after it, and all of a sudden it changes the game. And then you see pitchers that will get in trouble as the innings go on because now guys have adjusted to where they're throwing it. They, they adjust just like pitchers do. I think you widen the strike zone, it forces guys to swing the bat more, which does keep the pace going. And I still think you would see, you'd see a lot of strikeouts still, and you would see guys that will still be able to work walks because they are good hitters, and they can tell when pitches are close or borderline or no need to swing at that. 
you know, there's there's guys that can do that. And I think you'd still have, maybe you might have some guys that have weak contact, but I still think you'd have guys that would produce. Is is the compromise moving the mound back and taking it back to a time when we grew up where if somebody threw 94 regularly, like they were a flamethrower, and now if you throw 94, you're Kyle Hendricks on the Cubs. I don't even think he throws that hard. Moving the mound back? If, if yeah, you know what, if you're going to incorporate a wider strike zone, then I think I think you could get away with that because that just, just a little bit, it doesn't have to be far, but just to give them that if everybody's going to throw 95 to 100, then I guess you you may want to make that adjustment. But I think you're still seeing runs scored. You're still seeing runs scored in bunches. I think you're still going to see runs scored even with the way it is now. But I think those are just small things you could do if you're going to do it in tandem with a wider strike zone. Because if you're forcing guys to throw it further, you're going to lose a little bit of the accuracy on it. So... I think you've got to give them a little bit of a cushion there, and and if hitters are able to see it better, then uh, they're gonna they're gonna crush some pitchers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and who knows? I'm at least happy that we're having this dialogue because for for a while when we were in this this analytical revolution, and I'm talking like 15, 16, 17, I was like, yeah, there's not as many triples or liners to the gap, and it's it's three true outcomes, but there is very little better in sports than my best pitch against you, against uh, when, when, you know, it's Cabrera at the top of his game against Max Scherzer, you know, in an interleague game. There's nothing better than that one-on-one matchup. And, you know, Agreed. We, uh, chicks dig the long ball or everybody digs the long ball. Like, I love that matchup. But when there's so much information being processed by each uh, competitor and it has slowed things down to where we are now. It, it can be some games can become unwatchable. Most of them involve the Yankees and Red Sox, but other teams as well. Well, yeah, because every Re- Yankees Red Sox game seems to go four and a half hours yep. for the first to play nine innings. You're right. <laughs> for some reason, when those two teams get together, it's never a two hour and twenty minute game. It just never. doesn't. It just doesn't happen that way. But you're right, and that might be one way that baseball can can. can continue to grow as they've got to find a way to tap into the analytical audience. There's a lot of younger people that do get into analytics. You know, I consider you and I still in the younger category. Uh, although, uh, you know, I might be nearing more, uh, the older side, but when you look at the younger, you know, there is that analytical driven part of the sport. And I think they should embrace that a little bit more and just go with it and say, look, there is analytics here. This is why things happen during a baseball game and, and why. I think those are the great uh, broadcasters that are able to bring that out. Those those former players that get on these broadcasts that can really add that, here's why this is going on. Here's why this pitcher has gone double up with his fastball up around the shoulders twice in a row. Like, why did he do that? Well, there's a reason why, because now he's coming with a slice, he's changed your eye level, he's pushed your eyes up, so now you're looking up, and now he's going to start, his change up is going to be at that same level, but it's going to be 10 miles per hour slower, and the table's going to drop off of it, and you're going to corkscrew yourself into the ground. That's the reason why he's doing that. You know, I think that I think they talk more about that part of the game might allow some of the younger players and younger people to get into the game itself. I think Dan Dickerson, uh, he's always been one of my top ten favorite broadcasters, maybe ever. But I think he does a perfect job of marrying old school baseball play-by-play with modern analytics and not talking 
Not lecturing, not talking over people's heads, not treating people like they're stupid. He does a great job of of just that. Agreed. I agreed. I, he's done a great job following in the footsteps of a Hall of Fame broadcaster and Ernie Harwell. It's so hard to do as as uh, Rick Ritz and Tom Rapman found out in the 90s when the Tigers made a switch away from Ernie Harwell and they went to those two. Not that they were bad broadcasters. They weren't. But they just weren't Ernie Harwell. And, and it took them bringing back Ernie Harwell for years and then Dan Dickerson working his way in with him and then taking over eventually where now it's better. Uh, and Dan has done a great job honing his craft and coming along every year. He's just a joy to listen to, and he's 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 brilliant at it. Yeah. So it wasn't last year, but it will be this year where the tie, uh, the mud ends have a lot of prime prospects. Uh, Tarek Skubal is going to be in the rotation, as you mentioned. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that, but um, that was, I guess, expected. He's had a good spring. I guess Casey Mize will be with you guys. How about Matt Manning? Uh, I think Matt Manning is probably, well, they already sent him to the minor league camp. So I, I would assume that he is going to be with us. So you, you factor uh, the guys that, you know, when you look at, say, MLB Pipeline's top group for the Tigers. I, uh, Torkelson, I think, starts lower. I think he's, I think he's either uh, West Michigan and high A or he's double A. Uh, Mize, I think you're, I think you're right. I think he's with us. I think Green starts probably Erie. Uh, you know, is is my guess there. Maybe even, maybe even at West Michigan, we'll see uh, what they think. Scoobles already going to be in the big leagues. Manning, I think, goes with us in AAA. Uh, Parades, I, I, not sure where they have him penciled in yet. It's possible we might see him at the beginning of the year, or he might make the Tigers. We'll see there. Uh, Dingler, the young catcher, he's going to be uh, the years away from us. Uh, Daniel Cabrera, same thing. Joey Wentz uh, is coming back from Tommy John. Alex Parker Fayette. Meadows, who knows? Uh, Fayeto's on uh, Tommy John, so we, we won't pitch this year at all. So we, we won't see him this year. We would probably see him mid next year. Daz Cameron, I think, will start the year with us. I think that's for sure. I think you look at him. I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with Franklin Perez. Uh, they got one of the guys. Remember, he was really the prize out of the Verlander trade. I mean, world's a talent has really had a hard time staying healthy. Uh, I have a feeling he's either going to be Erie or us to start the year. That'll be an intriguing uh, uh, one there. And then you know some of the other guys you you could end up seeing. Uh, you know, I think Zach Short uh, they got in a trade with uh, the Cubs. I think he comes in and probably is a Triple A guy to start the year. We'll see where they go with Bo Burrows. Probably Triple A. Uh, with us, but yeah, I think you're going to see some pretty good prospects to start the year with the Tigers and the Mud Hens. Um, anybody else on the big league roster um, excite you a bit? Like I said, I think they're going to be a little little plucky. I mean, they're they're in a pretty. They're, I don't want to say tough. Well, I mean, it's wordplay. Competitive division. Uh, I don't know if the Twins will come back a little bit. It seems like the White Sox are on the cusp. I love what Kansas City did with their signings. I know people were scratching their heads like, why are they signing these guys in the middle of a rebuild? But it seems like they're trying to sit in the middle and they've picked the right players to do that. And I'm sure the Indians will turn um, the t- Zach Plesak and then the other kids, Savali, into Cy Young Award winners because that's what they do. And even though they have no outfielders, they'll still find a way to win 85 games. <laughs> you know what? I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting division. Uh, I, I, I really do. I think Chicago is the best team right now on paper in the division. We'll see if that ends up 
uh, coming to fruition. I think Minnesota's right there with them. I think Cleveland is there as the third team, but they're a dark horse to me because of that rotation. Yes, you're right. You know, we know Shane Bieber's going to be great. Uh, you're right. Plesak, Savali, McKenzie. McKenzie's another one. Tristan McKenzie. Uh, they, they world's of talent with that young man. Uh, they, you know, I think it's interesting. Where do they go as their fifth and sixth starters this year? Uh, will be very interesting to me for them. And where do they get enough offense uh, going, I think, is, is an interesting point for the Indians. That, to me, is why I don't know where to slot the Indians because I think Kansas City is on the rise very heavily. And and yet I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City finished second or third if things fall right for them with their young players. Uh, the young pitching staff is the key to me for them. Um, you know, they got a kid, Josh Stallman, at the end of their bullpen that is just on the cusp of being a lights-out closer. He's he's a guy low hundreds with his fastball, and he is he's an outstanding pitcher, obviously, with Singer. They got some young starters there that are pretty intense, and, you know, obviously, Carlos Santana gives them a nice veteran presence there. Yeah. Hunter Dozier's a very nice player. Uh, I like what Kansas City is doing. I think, I think a lot of people do uh, with what they're doing. It, it the Twins are interesting. I think they need to get more out of guys like Miguel Sano if they're going to keep up at the top part of the division. Uh, their pitching staff's okay to me. I think it's solid. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Tigers could surprise. I, I just think they're, it's going to be tough for them to finish higher than, than fourth in the division. But I could see them finishing ahead of Kansas City or Cleveland. They, uh, if they get comeback seasons or whatever the heck was going on with Matthew Boyd last year, um, and if, if he, he can be more of what he was the year before where he was uh, like a Cy Young candidate, and if, and if Michael Fulmer can get back to where he was, they might have an ugly record because of you know the talent you just talked about in the division, but be better than their record because there, there is better talent on, the, on this roster than there's been probably in four years or so. Yeah, I think so. I think you. I think you look at it. There is that possibility there. I really like the Renato Nunez signing. I was yeah, very too. surprised that Baltimore let him get away because I mean he's a guy who could easily hit twenty to thirty home runs. Even for Detroit, uh, Nomar Mazzara I like as a bounce back guy. I think he could do a lot of things. Wilson Ramos is is as solid as it gets behind the plate. Uh, you know, you start looking. They it looks like they may have had a decent find with a Badu kid. Uh, you know, from Minnesota, Achille Badu. I don't know if I'm quite pronouncing it right. He's a young prospect from Minnesota. They took in the Rule 5 draft. He's the guy who's been tearing it up in their spring. I mean, he's been their best hitter in the spring training. Yeah, um, uh, 344, four yeah. runs. Yeah, awesome. I hate Rule 5 uh, picks, but when you're the Tigers, you can do those. Well, sure, but Victor Reyes was a Rule 5 uh, pick a couple years ago. They just kept him on the roster all year. I thought they did a nice job of doing that and just keeping him around they they sprinkled him in and that's probably what they'll do with Badu as well to try to buy the time in that year because they're going to have five outfielders they're going to keep five outfielders so they can sprinkle him in and then when they sent Victor Reyes to us to uh in the 2019 the start of the 2019 season he was a totally different hitter after like two months of playing every day and getting that opportunity, and now he comes up, and now he's a pretty decent player for the Tigers, and he's a perfect fourth outfielder, probably a three or a four for them, depending on how you look at Jacoby Jones, and uh, you know Robbie Grossman. Those guys will probably 
they'll probably be splitting time a lot. So I think that's a great uh, avenue to throw in another guy. When you're the Tigers and where you're at, why not take a guy that's got a lot of talent, just hasn't put it all together yet in Badu in the Twins organization and, and kind of sit on him for a while? Um, refresh my memory. Dan, is, Dan, is Daniel Norris going to be in the bullpen? I think he's going to be a bullpen. I think he's going to be a mid or he's going to be a long guy uh, for the year to, to start, I think. Maybe. And, and I love these types of guys. And, and it sounds like we're, we're both like this. Like, we're the opposite of Dave Dombrowski. Um, like, I always kind of <laughs> hoped that Vince Velasquez would be this for the Phillies, but they just can't figure out what they're going to do with him. But I love guys who are failed starters and become weapons in relief. And the model is a guy that Tiger fans would be familiar with, and he's not what he used to be, but... Maybe Daniel Norris can do an Andrew Miller light, knowing that the, the, the starting rotation is out now. He can live in his van, and he is going to be a weapon out of the bullpen. If you need him for, for two innings and 45 pitches, he'll do it. If you need him for one batter, he'll do that too. I love, those are my favorite kind of relievers now. Well, and that's usually the guy's that become lights out clerk because what ends up happening you look at a guy like daniel norris's fastball is probably what 93 to 95 as a starter well now when he goes into a one inning spurt what does it become usually it'd be 97 to 99 now all of a sudden his secondary pitches all become weapons and he can hone on just one and and those guys end up you're right they end up succeeding very well in that regard john smoltz did it was really the first one that pops to my head of a guy that was a terrific starter Eckersley. got hurt then they switched him yeah Eckersley was the same thing he was a he was a starter early in his career and then became a lights out closer it's great great find there but yeah you're right there's some guys that really succeed well in that role and then a lot of times starters succeed in that closers role the guy the guy of the White Sox sign Liam Hendricks yeah not, not a great start he was average you give you four or five innings that was his best but then when they moved in the bullpen Oakland did all of a sudden, his stuff really played up, yep. and then he's and he's got the mentality of I can get guys out on a consistent basis. So what does he do? He becomes a closer, and he thrives in that role. And you look at the Tigers and what they're going to try to do this year between Jimenez, Garcia, Soto. Soto have, probably has the best stuff out of that group to become a closer. He just is so erratic; it's hard to to pinpoint that if he's if he can actually hold that job there. Uh, you know, I like Brian Garcia. I always have. I, I mean, I'm just not sure he's going to continue to get opportunities in that closer's role, but he, he was a closer at Miami University, and he's been a reliever his whole time coming up, you know, and he's been in that closer's role. He's a guy who knows how to succeed there. I wonder if that's what they'll end up doing, but you're right. They got guys. Tyler Alexander's a former starter that'll probably be in the bullpen. Daniel Norris. Urania, uh, too. Is Urania yeah. hurt? No, he's uh, actually pitched today. Okay, so yeah, for them, he pitched the first couple innings. Yeah, like like last like a couple of years ago, uh, the bottom of the Tigers roster were players who probably shouldn't have been in the major leagues. The bottom of the roster now is guys that we're talking about, like guys who have been on other teams, and maybe it just didn't work out. Like Urania was too erratic. Like I watched him a lot in the NL East. He was just too erratic. Great stuff, couldn't lock it down, and he's like a total candidate to be another one of those lockdown bullpen guys. And now he's got the opportunity to do that. So that's why I say this team is going to be a lot more interesting. Interesting, a lot more fun. Um, I'm looking forward to going to games like Tuesday night um, when there's like 13,000 people there and I can stretch out and enjoy a nice night at the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's always fun to go up and watch them play, no matter what they're, whether they're good or, or not. And I think they got a chance to be very competitive this year. Maybe it may not 
tune into the record. They might still finish in last, and you know maybe they don't win as many games as we would like. But I think they'll be very competitive. I think a lot of nights. I don't think there's going to be too many where they're you're turning off the game early because they're they're in a lot of trouble. I think their their rotation can be very solid for you. You're right. Boyd can be better than he was last year. Last year's to me is so hard to judge because it was just 60 games. You know, I, I mean, the Indians dumped Carlos Santana because he hit 199. Well, you know, if you look back at Carlos, yeah, you, well, look, look at, uh, yeah, he, exactly. But you look back at his at his career, and he usually has about two months where he's not very good, right. and then he has four months where he's really good. So, you know, did he just get those two bad months right away? Yeah, probably for a lot Bryant. of guys. Chris Bryant. Bryant. Um, had a terrible year and he was healed up from that awful shoulder injury and I had seen a stat the other day that said Chris Bryant has had other 60 game stretches like this and one of those years he was getting MVP both so yeah I throw out a lot of last year as well because uh, you know we, we just most people will just look at it from a statistical perspective but there's a personal aspect as well like these people were affected just like we were when it comes to not knowing what's going on with paychecks and family and how long will this last and, and that that plays in a lot of people's minds well it certainly does and then you look at just even guys that ended up getting COVID uh Eduardo Rodriguez for Boston couldn't even jog for months after he had it because his heart started racing like crazy the way it affected him and he's a he's a young man in his mid-20s and a solid really good starter for boston uh you know look at julio tehran is a great example he had it at yeah he had it at the beginning of the summer camp and just never got his fastball going again he just couldn't get it built up last year so he really struggled and now he's dazzled in spring for the tigers and you're like oh hey this guy's at 93 94 all the time you know, he was last year. He was hitting 88, 89. I, I, so there's a lot of those things you can't. And baseball is a funny game in that regard. Like, yeah, that's why you love the full season because numbers hash themselves out after over the course of a year. You know, you just can't tell a lot on a 60 game stretch because you know, in the in the hindsight, you're normally looking at 100 more games. A guy might be, you know, for 80 of those games, might be really darn good. And you just haven't seen it yet because some guys start slow when they get going in baseball. And it's crazy because, I mean, I might have thrown an asterisk on last year's um, uh, playoffs, but seemingly the last four teams left were the best four teams, and I'm glad it worked out that way. So there would be a, a lot less, um, like, eyebrow raising about it. On that, we can wrap up, and thanks for the time. Um do you, any any playoff thoughts? Any forecast for the the season for for Major League Baseball? Players you like, teams you like? Ooh, 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 ooh! Put me on the spot and you can't there. Can't say the Dodgers. All right. Well, I mean, I think I, I I pretty much think the Dodgers and San Diego are going to be in the playoffs in the NL. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd love to see the Reds make it. I I. I, I, as as well, you grew up in the same time frame. You know, when I was a kid, it, they were separate leagues. Like the Tigers and Reds never played each other. Yeah. There were, the, you know, so you could root. You know, the only time they would ever match up is in a World Series. So you could root for two teams. It was cool back in those days. So I rooted. Reds fan? I'm a Reds fan in the NL, and I'm a Tigers fan in the AL. Yep. I know what you're saying, though. Um, because when I was a kid, and you, for the obvious reasons, I loved the Oakland A's. Okay. Um, and I was devastated when the Reds rocked them in that World Series. <laughs> but, 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 one of my all-time what-if players is Eric Davis. Oh, sure. Great player. Yeah. 
And you know what? You probably had the same thing. You were like, well, I'm rooting for Philadelphia. I love the Phillies. And then, oh, I, I, I'll follow Oakland and the Bash Brothers out there. Oh, that's cool when you were growing up, you know. And, you know, same same for me. I just was like, well, you know what? I'm rooting for the Tigers. They're obviously my favorite team. They're my AL team. But, hey, I could pick a team in the NL because it's like a separate entity. And now they all play each other, so now you don't see probably as much of that. But I'd love to see the Reds have a good run there. I I don't think that division's crazy, crazy good. St. Louis is probably the best team in that division, but it's not like the Reds couldn't make a run in that division and do well. Um, you know, I, I think Atlanta's pretty good, but the Mets did a nice job in the offseason there. Uh, I think I'll be keeping an eye on them and, and your Phillies, obviously. You know, just uh, don't bother. You're okay. <laughs> in the, they're 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 more like I would bet on them more likely to finish last than first. The division's just too good. It really is. That might be the best division in baseball. I think the hardest one to get in is going to be the NL West because of San Diego and the Dodgers and what they've done. And San Francisco, I think, is dropping off the face of the planet. Colorado. Uh, same thing, but that, those that that's a very top-heavy uh, division there. Um, AL West, I think, until somebody really proves me that they can take out Houston, I, I think it's uh, it, you know is Oakland there yet? I don't. The Texas is way down now. Yeah. Uh, Seattle is on the rise, but I don't know if they're quite ready yet. And then in the East, you know, the Yankees are probably the top team there. I always root for the Rays a little bit because of too. what they do. Uh, the fact that uh, they, they, for some reason, can't get a stadium on the good side of Tampa to actually draw anybody. Um, but then you turn around, and what the way they kind of handle their prospects is fun. And then I always root for Toronto because it's the only Canadian team. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun to see them, and I hope at some point during this season, I'm sure they will be able to start going back to Toronto uh, and play there. But I always love the Jays, and I love what they did in the off season. They got a, dealt a bad hit with the Kirby Yates injury. Yeah. Any, I just saw the other day. It was uh, I was looking at MLB trade rumors, and it was on two. It was Monday where there was just like a slew of army oh. and like serious ones too. Yeah, and he's in that mix. Sounds like it's going to be Tommy John for mm. him. Uh, but they took just a one-year deal on him. Kind of took a flyer on him to be their closer. It'll be interesting. I think Romano will probably do the job there. Is my guess. But uh, you know, that's an interesting team. I think they've they've done a lot there. They've got the mix of youth. And then adding Springer in the offseason, you know, I thought the trades they made last year, getting Robbie Ray in, I think he'll be much better this year than he was last year. Steven Matz could be interesting there in their rotation. I think they're kind of a fun team. I think they got, you know, with with Biggio and Guerrero and the young guys that they've got, Bichette is only 23. Like, they're, they're such a young group. But then they they go and they add Springer and they add Simeon. Now they've got they've got some real nice pieces there too. They could they could really challenge the Yankees in that division. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, one last question. Sorry. Um, anybody? Oh. That, yeah, sorry. <laughs> anybody that you're looking forward to coming uh, to fifth third this year in AAA that that is a prospect? Since you're a prospect nerd like me. Well, I I mean to me I would love to see and i'm sure you would be on this as well out of the tigers organization i would love to see torkelson i know he had uh, kind of a struggle here in the spring but it's his first real competitive baseball in a year uh you know with no minor leagues and then just a little bit of alternate site work i think when you actually get him going into 
to full season ball. I think he could rock it up. And I'd love to see him by the end of the year in Toledo. I think it'd be just fantastic uh, to see him uh, in Toledo. And then thinking about the teams that we're going to see uh, during the year, uh, yeah, I mean, with Cleveland's, uh, Columbus, uh, Pittsburgh and Indy, uh, Louisville with Cincinnati, uh, I, I don't, uh, Nashville is interesting uh, to see coming through this year. The fact we're going to see Nashville, we're going to see Memphis, we're going to see Iowa, Omaha. I mean, Omaha is intriguing because it's the Royals AAA affiliate, and they're going to have some guys like Daniel Lynch, a uh, big-time prospect, pitching prospect for them. Kyle Isbell is a big-time outfield prospect for them that they have that could still be on their roster when we see Omaha during the summer. So I think it'll be kind of intriguing. Do you know where the Rays are stashing Wander Franco? Are they gonna? Is he going to be a Durham? Yeah. See, I think he's. I think he probably is going to be either Double A or Triple A to start the year. That doesn't mean he won't be in the big leagues by the time. Uh, well, we're not going to see him anyway. So now with the way the schedule is this year, but uh, it's very possible they may start him in Triple A just to wait on his clock, and then uh, if he's tearing it up there. He might be up uh, very quickly in June, maybe for Tampa, if he's that good. I mean, he's the number one prospect for a couple yeah. years in a row. Uh, so Durham is not like uh, in the division anymore, and you won't play. No, him no, we're not actually. According to this season, because of the way they did it, the schedule this year, I don't think we're gonna. Well, I mean, I know we're not gonna see them. We're basically uh, in our division uh, with Columbus, Indy, and Louisville, and St. Paul, Iowa, and Omaha. We'll see them, and then the two teams we're seeing from the other divisions is just Memphis and Nashville this year. So that's it. That's how they wanted to do the schedule this year to try to limit seeing a much, you know, having playing a whole bunch of different teams and the consequences that could arise from that. Uh, I, I saw the Grand Rapids Griffins lost a game this week, uh, had to postpone a game against Chicago uh, because of COVID issues. So they, they, I think they wanted to try to limit that as much as possible, and that's why the schedule is how it is. Well, we could do this another seven or eight hours, but... We could. Booter needs his dad. That's right. Awesome. Uh, it was good to catch up. I'm glad everything is good. I'm um, glad the golf game is good. I'm glad you're a, motor, a motorcycle rider now. And um, I guess uh, enjoy everything at work, and we're, we're seven weeks out from opening day. I can't wait, Eric. So good to chat with you, my man. You that too, was fun. Dude. Tell, uh, tell Caitlin I said hi again. We'll do. And, uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks. Take care. See ya.